conveyed by the way he walked perhaps an anger even in the scrape click scrape click scrape click as he moved along the shiny wet pavement it might also seem that the young man's eyes were downcast because unlike any other foot passenger on the pavement at that time or indeed unlike any other person in the vicinity the reason why he was not looking ahead or upwards was that he was unconcerned about the possibility of another downpour of rain. It might seem that such was his determination, and possible anger, that the next massing of a cloud of darker grey had no significance for him. He was, perhaps, unconcerned with such a development. He was a young man committed to another issue. He would project that impression. Here, the observer might think, was a man with a purpose, a man who had sustained a serious injury earlier in his life, a man who now knew poverty, but above all, here was a man with a mission, a man with a task, an urgent task to fulfil. The young man, who would be seen to display no sign of weakening, either in his hampered walk or in his resolve, would be observed to have walked from the area of foliage and stone through the housing estate to the main road. At the main road, he would be observed to turn towards York and continued to have a strong air of determination about him. There was, it might seem to be, a hunger about the youth, more than the hunger of the empty stomach, that his dress seemed to indicate. There was a hunger in his walk. The youth walked into the centre of the city of York. It was a walk which had taken him fully forty-five minutes, perhaps longer, and would not have been, could not have been, easy for him. But he was a man driven, evidently so. There was not the slightest hesitation in his direction, in his route, and he would be observed to be a person who knew exactly where he was and exactly where he wanted to go, and by exactly which route. Indeed, said route would appear to be the most direct. He would be seen to cut corners when he could, and to cross the road obliquely rather than at ninety degrees. And even though such practices would save him a few seconds on his overall journey time, it was a policy he chose to pursue. Once in the city, he walked up Micklegate, with its shops and public houses, with an occasional small business premises also, but shops and bars in the main, and heavy with pedestrians, it being the summer when tourists visit in large numbers, and whose presence hampered the progress of the disabled youth. At the summit of the hill he moved on, down to Micklegate Bar, being one of the gates of the ancient city, over which gate were the walls, and elevated pedestrian way along the walls behind the battlements. At the bar he paused. For the first time in his travels across York, he would be seen to pause, and to pant, and to catch his breath. But he paused only to wait until the traffic lights changed, to permit foot passengers to cross the road. The pause, and the catching of breath, was not at all a faltering of his resolve. When the traffic lights changed and the green man shone, the youth unhesitatingly 
put himself at the road, crossing it with perhaps but a dozen dogged steps, and entered the public entrance of Micklegate Bar Police Station. It was, as records would later show, 12.32 hours on the Monday of that week. E.C. Carmen Farrow was the duty C.I.D. officer. Thank you. I'll be there directly. Carmen Farrow gently replaced the telephone and glanced up good-humouredly at Thompson Ventner, who sat opposite her. I knew it was too quiet. Calm before the storm. She stood and smoothed down her skirt. You don't really get that in England. What? Thompson Ventner carried on writing. Calm before the storm. Oh, we do. He stopped writing and returned her smile. Not like in the